Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Day's here alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. Coming up here today on a Thursday, reunited with an old friend of mine, Michael Ferris, who is now with the Convention of States. He will join us at the bottom of the hour and we'll take a, a broad look at where things are in the country constitutionally and culturally with one of the smartest guys I've ever met during my time in this business. So Michael Ferris will be joining us here at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we'll continue Theology Thursday, our renewed look which is, I think this is the third time, I think, since the book was written, we have gone through it here on the show, A Nefarious Plot. This is clearly the most frightening time of going through it because it is just eerie and scary how much of what was written in that book um, seven, eight, nine years ago, uh, how much of it is what we call real life here today. There's so. still a sense back then that we... It was kind of like out over there. Now it's like you are here. Yeah. But you know what this, what this is doing is, I think I said during, uh, in, like in t- 2020 or 2021, all the stuff that shows like this one and the shows that I grew up listening to, Rush, Levin, all the, Beck, those guys, okay? All the stuff that those guys, and, and then when I got into this business, this show, warned you one day, one day, if we don't stop them now, one day, this is what they really mean and where they will really take us. This is the, the ultimate conclusion of what they are asserting, right? Mm-hmm. And today's the day. We're, we're, today is the day. These are the days when those prophecies are now being fulfilled among us. And I, you get that sense. This is like, this is like an itemizing of them, right? It's, it, we're not just giving a general forecast, but, but now it's the itemization uh, of what that forecast means what mm-hmm. the carnage of it is as we go through it here. Yeah, we will continue coming up in the next hour of the show. Uh, also, uh, three non-political questions too. Before we get to the montage, I want to say quickly this morning, I, I don't know where it's at now. I've been the last few days. Remind me never to launch a book and marketing for a motion picture, getting a national release ever again. Can you? Not not simultaneously, anyway. Can you remind me in the future? Let's not do that at the same time. If anybody is, no. I was frankly, I'm stunned somebody was dumb enough to work with us to do this once. If we could, if we if we could find enough stupid people to agree to do this with us ever again, remind me to space this out a little bit more, if you would, please. No way. This is awesome. <laughs> there's drinking from a fire hose, right? And then there's you know. Ryan Reynolds and Buried. That's what I was, uh, I have been here for the last uh, 36, 48 hours. And it ain't slowing down here uh, anytime soon. Uh, but uh, I, so I have no idea where Rise of the Fourth Reich confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial. So this never happens again. I, uh, the last I had time to look was about four hours ago. Uh, where the where the book ranked on Amazon. And and that's really the only ranking in the world that matters. 83% of every book in America is is bought or sold via Amazon. I mean, that, that's the number one ranking system. As of about four or five hours ago, the top three hardcover political books in America, in order, Greta Thunberg, Mike Pompeo, and Daniel Horowitz and I, number one. 
stop and consider, as the former Secretary of State and head of the CIA and the Trump administration, I believe Mike was Trump's longest serving cabinet member in those two posts. He was there the entire presidency. On top of that, um, uh, he was a member of Congress before that. What does that mean? It means that Mike likely, well, even if he had never ran the CIA, Mike likely has the entire Republican Party national email list at his disposal that he can market to. Of course, we don't. And since he ran the CIA, he has every email list that he can market to. All right. There's a, there's a level of infrastructural advantage there we just can't even begin to approach. Greta Thunberg. Call later. Yeah, I mean, what, isn't she the most well-funded piece of human agitprop on planet Earth at this particular moment right now? She's certainly on the short list, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's us. So far, Daniel and I have managed to get on two shows since we launched on Tuesday. Daniel and I have managed to get on two shows that have significantly larger platforms than our own. Daniel did Steve Bannon's War Room last night. Mm. And then I did Glenn Beck's program yesterday morning. That's it. You know how hard it is to have a best-selling book on the right without a single appearance on Fox News? You and I may have done it twice. Yeah, I, Tucker had us on for Fauci and Bargain, remember? But that was after we hit number one. We then went on Tucker. Mm -hmm. We dropped down a little bit, and then he made us number one again. <laughs> okay? But it's not easy, man. On the right, having a number, having a book that's a bestseller on this scale without access to Fox News. And we have managed to do it. Let alone the corporate media that a guy who used to be a Trump administration official, Mike Pompeo, can still get on Good Morning America and CNN if he wants to. I don't, you know, I've not been following Mike's marketing. I don't know if he wants to, but he certainly could. And of course, Greta Thunberg can get on every single Spirit of the Age media platform she wants anytime she wants. So with big and not insignificant assists from my man Glenn Beck and Steve Bannon, right, they have clearly played a role in this with that, with the exposure that they have provided us. Let us not understate that whatsoever. But aside from those two, every, all the rest of this has been done because of you, what you guys have done. Just grassroots, viral using my Twitter account, my Facebook feed, et cetera, to get the word out. You guys have made that happen. And I think Daniel talked about it yesterday. Just, you know, it's a humbling experience to see that, to see people that have no vested interest in your work other than belief in it and, uh, and, and a belief in what it can accomplish, take it upon themselves with time and energy that you just don't have and carving out at least some of it to help us get the word out about what I think is the most important book I've ever written and like likely will ever be a part of. So that's incredible. When you look at infrastructure, yeah, yes, Daniel and I have large platforms here via the blaze, but nothing compared to the infrastructure that Mike Pompeo and Greta Thunberg have at their disposal. Nothing close to that. And it's just, it's really humbling. I'm extremely grateful to all of you. And uh, I mean, I just golf clap. I mean, I, I wanted to say thank you to all of you guys out there. I'm about to go full Alabama 
you work a 40 hour week for a living right here. Okay. Mm -hmm. But that's, you know, that's a little bit how I feel, you know, watching what's happened with this book so far this week upon launch. Last time it was self-serving for me when I said what I'm about to say, but this time uh, it's not. Uh, If, if I may ask you, you look what you've already done on behalf of this book. If you can go the next extra mile, buy one more book and give it to somebody who needs to read it. Adopt a policymaker, especially a legislator, a mayor, a city council. Because remember, this stuff was all imposed on us primarily. The edicts came from on high in Mm -hmm. Washington. Okay, but but the imposition and the enforcement happened on the local level. Police departments in Idaho arresting mothers at playgrounds and police departments in Texas arresting women and trying to reopen their salons. This was imposed on us at the state and local level. Adopt those policymakers and and force them to see what's in this book. Yeah, I, I just can't stress enough. There's all kinds of people who don't want to know. But there's still a lot of people, some of them regular people, but some of them are kind of, prof- they've been swamped in a bureaucracy. There's all kinds of, pre- there's still just all kinds of people who just don't know Th- this book could shake them. If you can buy one more book, please do so and give it away to somebody. Case in point, I got an email today from a guy who works with churches around the country on you know, audio, video, storytelling, creativity, et cetera. And he saw the trailer for Nefarious and reached out and he's like, I don't know, maybe there's a way we can help work together, et cetera. And sends me his, his resume might even be listening right now. So if that's you, Jeremy props. And, uh, I look at his resume and I'm like, I see like Saddleback Church on there. Rick Warren. I'm like, yeah. All right. I mean, and he's like, and then I go back and read his email again. And and it said in his email, by the way, if you look at my resume, don't be scared off by all the Saddleback stuff. Okay. Let's just say 2020 and what's happened since has been an eye opener and an awakening experience for a lot of us. That's what you're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. There are sheep and there are wolves. And all of us fall into one of these two things at some point in time in our life. Now, if you've seen American Sniper, you know the, the, the ultimate goal is to be the sheepdog that protects the sheep from the wolves. But all of us at some point in time are sheep or wolves. What is the difference? A sheep just doesn't know, needs a shepherd, needs, to be, needs someone to kind of show them the path, the way, uh, someone to tend to them, okay, on the path. A, a sheep just does not know. A wolf doesn't want to know knows just fine and just doesn't care, right? And there are many sheep without, as Augustine once noted, but many, many wolves within. So one way to find out, how do you know if where you live, you're governed by sheep or wolves? Present this book and it will be a litmus test. You'll find out right away who is willing to at least humor it, and its claims, who is insulted by the mere um, attempt to get them to con- reconsider uh, or consider fully what's happened here the last few years. This book is a double-edged sword, pardon the pun. It will, you're not permitted any neutrality. None. Not permitted none. One of my best buddies called me yesterday. And uh, he was on an eight-hour flight home from Hawaii with his wife. 
And he's like, I got to tell you, I normally just, especially with a long flight like this, I just fall asleep like the first half hour, man, and sleep the whole thing off. And I made the mistake of starting the audio version of your, of this book. <laughs> good grief. I was awake the whole eight hours. Clockwork Orange. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yes. And now, and now I want to hurt people. Okay. <laughs> I was awake the whole time and I didn't come back from Hawaii relaxed. All right. And now someone must pay for this. Not okay. just Batman walking the streets at night. Yes. That's what, that's what you that, that's yeah. what this provides. It's a, it's a shofar. And you'll find out who answers the call, right, and who does not. And if they don't, then you know. That's a wolf. Gonna have to take them out. Gonna have to confront the wolves. Feed and care for the sheep and confront the wolves. And now here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Big Brother. The federal government is and has been secretly tracking those Americans who haven't gotten the poisonous COVID jabs. According to reporting from the Epic Times, the program was implemented on April 1st, 2022 and adopted by most medical clinics and hospitals across the United States starting January 2023. Under this program, doctors at clinics and hospitals have been instructed to ask patients about their vaccination status, which is then added to their electronic medical records as a diagnostic code known as an ICD-10 code so that they can be tracked inside and outside of the medical system. The government is also tracking non-compliance with all other recommended vaccines using new ICD-10 codes and has implemented codes to describe why a patient didn't get a recommended vaccine. It's also added a billable ICD code for so-called vaccine safety counseling. About a week and a half ago, I told you about that meta-analysis on the efficacy or lack thereof of face masks in stopping respiratory illnesses. That study, published at the Cochrane Library, found masks do little to nothing to stop respiratory viruses like flu and COVID. It drew little mainstream attention until this week when CDC Director Rochelle Walensky was confronted by a House of Representatives panel with this very inconvenient truth. I've listened to this about three times and I still have no earthly idea what she's talking about. So I believe you're referring to the Cochrane Review study. This is an important study, but the Cochrane Review only includes randomized clinical trials. And as you can imagine, many of the randomized clinical trials that were included in that were for other respiratory viruses, not COVID-19. Some of them were for COVID-19, just to be clear, but it is very different for COVID-19 because you have a, a pre a virus that a different from flu, potentially different from SARS or MERS, transmits before you actually have symptoms. So, it's also the case that the, one of the limitations in that study was clearly stated that um, people were not actually engaged in the intervention. So you actually have to wear the mask okay. for it to work. Okay. So there Dr. are lots Walensky? of studies now in Georgia. Dr. Walensky, why are we masking our kids today? You know, thank you. Also, so our guidance um, for school-based masking is related to our COVID-19 community levels. And fortunately, we're in a place now in this country where most of our country is in green or yellow. Florida Surgeon General Joe Latipo has sent a letter to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration stating that Florida saw a 1,700% increase in VAERS, that's the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System reports after the release of the COVID-19 vaccine. That's compared to only an increase of 400% in vaccine administration. The reporting of life-threatening conditions increased 4,400%. Latipo said in a tweet, quote, while the Biden administration and Big Pharma continue to blindly push mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, Florida remains dedicated to responding to public health concerns guided by data and common sense. Moving on, real-life Bond villain update. Here's Klaus Schwab at the World Government Summit this week. Artificial intelligence, but not only artificial intelligence, <clears throat> but also the metaverse, new space technologies, and I could go on and on. 
synthetic biology, our life in 10 years from now will be completely different, very much affected, and who masters those technologies in some way will be the master of the world. Also at the World Government Summit in Dubai, Elon Musk showed up to trash the concept of a global government. I think we should be maybe a little bit concerned about uh, actually becoming too much of a single world government. Um, if, if I may say that we want to avoid creating a civilizational risk by having, um, frankly, this may sound a little odd, too much cooperation between governments. You know, say like while Rome was falling, it, uh, it, you know, uh, Islam was rising, and uh, so you had like a, uh, you know, the, the sort of caliphate do, doing incredibly well while Rome was doing terribly. Um, and that actually ended up being a source of preservation of knowledge. If we are too much of a single civilization, then if, if, we, if the, whole, the whole thing may collapse. The Justice Department has decided it's not going to continue to pursue charges against Congressman Matt Gates in a years-long federal human trafficking case. The final decision was made by the Department of Justice leadership after investigators recommended against charges last year. The DOJ's formal decision not to charge Gates, who has been serving in Congress since 2017, marks the end of a long-running investigation into allegations that the congressman violated federal law by paying for sex, including with women who are younger than 18 years old. Gates has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. The United States is still in an egg shortage. According to the Federal Reserve in St. Louis, the average price for a dozen eggs in January was $4.80, with no end in sight. For comparison, only one year ago, the average price for a dozen eggs was less than half that at $1.92. So what do the elites think of this predicament? Headline at the Wall Street Journal, to save money, maybe you should skip breakfast. Mental illness update, we go to Arkansas, where a piece of legislation is being considered that would ban meatball surgery for minors in the name of gender. A group of trainee activists showed up for testimony, including one pharmacist who is a man and was asked a simple question by a state legislator. You said that you're a trans woman. I trans female, yes, sir. Do you have a penis? That's horrible. Yeah. You're the one. You're the one that brought that into the discussion. So this dude thinks he should be able to swing his penis around in women's locker and dressing rooms, but it's beyond the pale. It's worthy of clutching pearls to disclose whether he is indeed a dude in public. And finally, this from the Babylon Bee: Liberals replace offensive term "woman" with "child factory who bleeds." And that's what happened while we were away. Indeed. Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at Eden Pure got this note from Dolly Cruz in Friendswood, Texas. She says, she says, I don't usually buy things advertised on shows, but I've been hearing you talk about the Eden Pure system for weeks. Decided to go ahead and order one. Um, two, actually, because it was during the buy one, get one free deal that we had a couple of weeks ago. Now we're in the three pack deal. Um, but uh, I live in a small two bedroom apartment with my daughter. I've got a cat clean her litter box every day to keep the odor down. But sometimes I can't always clean after her because I'm not home. But the Eden Pure is excellent. I put one in my living room, one in the other bedroom where the second bathroom is. That's where the cat's box is. The Eden Pure has totally eliminated any of the odor from the litter box. And my daughter said she loves the rain smell as well. Uh, my apartment smells like a literal thunderstorm came through and cleaned everything out. I love it. So thank you for the endorsement of this excellent product. Looking forward to seeing Nefarious in theaters as well. That's from Dolly. So if you want to uh, test Dolly's hypothesis here, 
in your own home to see if the Eden Pure air purifier that is filterless, you want to see if it works in your home as well as it did in Dolly's, uh, just go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com, and use the discount code Steve. That's the discount code Steve. It used to be Steve3, right? Now it's just Steve, correct? I've, uh, I'll double check on that. But All right, because I got I another email from ways. someone said yesterday that they tried Steve 3 and it did not work. Okay. So I'm probably figure this out, yeah. out off the air sometime. Yeah. I just realized it a minute ago as I was uh, uh, reading, doing the read. My bad. So try them both. One of them will work. Code Steve, Steve 3. One of the codes will work. The Eden Pure Air Purifier will always work. One of the codes will work. Steve or Steve 3. When you go to EdenPureDeals.com, I, I like how I, I like it when I irritate him like that. Steve. It, it is Steve. Steve. Right. Code Steve, EdenPureDeals.com. Code Steve now. It's just plain old Steve. Nothing more. And I'm sorry. I apologize to the world. All right. Let's get to what is in the montage. You know what? On second thought, I want to ask one question. Okay. And I want us to seriously, I want us to seriously consider it. I'm not, I'm not saying that I think this. I'm not advocating for this. I'm just asking questions, right? It's all I'm doing. I'm just asking questions. Fair? We'll see. Okay. Do you think Elon Musk is the Antichrist? Go. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. I'm I'm just asking. Do you think he is? No. Why? Well, we've talked about this before. Now we're actually and, talking and about it. And the answer is always We've been referred no. to it before. But it's beca- We're actually talking about it now. Do you think it's possible? And, well, you're talking about it because of this, and you're obviously talking about it because I think of comparing Rome to the caliphate. Watching him there addressing in a, a Congress and Assembly of Islamic leaders. Like the Antichrist isn't Klaus Schwab or it won't be somebody like that, right? Mm -hmm. That's just too obvious of a figure. There's no deception there. There's absolutely none. Klaus Schwab isn't deceiving you at all. I mean, what he believes is a deception, right? Mm -hmm. That's what he believes. But he is affirmatively selling an agenda. They're not hiding it. It's way out in the open. They're not hiding it at all. There is no deception at all. There's no subterfuge. There's nothing subversive at all. Nothing at all. There is no, did God really say in Davos at all? They literally just skipped that and went right to, uh, we will be, to Babel. You know, we will ascend. We will be the most high. They just went right to it. There is no deception there. Like, the way they communicate, Yul Harari and that whole crowd, you know, uh, what Aaron just put in this montage again about AI, they're, they're not attempting to infiltrate anything mm-hmm. in the traditional sense of the term right this is an overt not a covert mm-hmm. mission on their part yeah. this is overt there is no deception there mm-hmm. 
it would be far more likely such a figure would have a foot in numerous different worlds at the same time where he had built a large amount of consensus and goodwill and would reluctantly take such reins. Well, you know, I'm not, I shouldn't be the one world government guy. I've, you know, I've been warning about the We shouldn't the even danger. have a world we government. Should, yeah, we, yeah, that's yeah. why we should split this okay, up in exactly. kingdom. Exactly. In Syria, I agree with you, but I know specifically it's got to be the comparison I mentioned that set you off on this because you have not really been willing. So why? What is it about what he I said I am totally triggered by watching him virtue signal and genuflect to that Congress of Islamists. I'm totally triggered by it. Totally triggered by it, man. Like, like if, like if the next clip would have been, and you know what? Along those lines, let's have a conversation about the Temple Mount. I'd have been like, I, I could have totally seen that as a follow-up conversation. As a total, keep in mind, guys. I'm not even a staunch advocate of this, of this eschatological view. Okay. I'm not even like a hardcore, pre-mill, dispensational person. At least once a day, someone sends me an email asking me my eschatological viewpoint. You know? And it is confused because I've, I've, I've studied too much of all the various mainstream views within the history of Christendom. And so I've, and then I've read each of their arguments against the other's views. Okay. And then the counter arguments to their arguments and the counters to their counter arguments. Okay. So I'm not dogmatic in this at all, but I have always said, and you'll admit this, I have always said that I thought the strongest argument for the premillennial view that the other two views that poke at it, um, and say that it overly futurizes events that in some cases, or many, depending on which of those views you have, those other views you have, haven't yet have already been fulfilled, okay? It's very clear that the singular man of lawlessness that Paul addresses to the church in Thessalonica has not appeared on the earth. That is very clear. So that's why I'm not a full preterist either. There's, there's clearly some, fu- some future event, that that has yet to be fulfilled that one okay so i'm totally triggered by watching that i didn't know See, i didn't i didn't know it was I, coming i didn't i didn't like i just saw it was on the rundown sheet i thought it was like a tweet or something like i had no that visual absolutely triggered me i'm i'm totally triggered just watching it see as a point of logic though what he's a i don't he kind of has like a juvenile premise about, I mean, there, there were things that were preserved, uh, knowledge, uh, uh, by the caliphate, mm-hmm. but the dark Western civilization's view of the dark ages is, is stupid. And, and it's anti-Catholic, quite frankly, uh, a lot of the Greek thinking, uh, was done away with, but in terms of what was preserved in terms of, uh, sh- uh chivalry and the church, I just think it's it's juvenile. But secondly, the the opposite of what he's saying is true. He's saying the you know there's it's kind of Hegelian, which isn't great. But uh huh. No, no, yeah, but he's yeah. But it would go. It, he would toggle the other way. He said, "Oh, the caliphate falls apart. Rome picks up." I, was, I, I uh-huh. don't think what. What's, I completely agree. You're triggering me why? further because the Antichrist is the Hegelian dialectic incarnate. 
No, he's not. He's the thesis and antithesis incarnate. That's what makes him such a deceptive figure. No, it's just a tool. I'm not. I'm not saying be pro Hegelian, but if you're if you're triggered about him specifically, I'm just saying it's pretty clear, just by his affect there, that he would probably say, but the reverse is true as well. I mean, it's just a ba- It's 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 a it's a balancing. I don't agree with it. But I don't even think he was being particularly deep there. He's, he was saying anti-one-world government things. Uh-huh. That's not what the Antichrist comes in and... and Actually, ultimately. I think that's exactly yeah. what an Antichrist would do. That, that's exactly, exactly why we need to have 10 economic zones. Yes. Yeah. I think it's, that's exactly what... Oh, uh, independent zones. and autonomous, of course, yeah. Yeah. under my direction. Yes. Yeah. But did he say that? No, but I, I could see that being like, a you know... The next chapter of the conversation. Like I'm totally triggered right now. So I'm on tilt, man. I, I may I may just, you know, I watch him condemn the chat bots and the AI at the same time he's pushing, you know, other in other iterations of transhumanist kind of stuff. And he'll say it's for um, you know, uh, limb replacement and you know, um it, it's for um br- you know brain damage and those sorts of things. That's exactly what an antichristical character would say. He's not going to say what Klaus Schwab says. It's not, it's not that no, guy not or a guy Klaus like Schwab that. Either. It's going to be someone that, that makes you think this is malleable, palatable. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it makes but, sense. But he's, got, this, he's got some answers. What's this? Just the, the setting of him genuflecting to a, an Islamic Congress, right, just triggered me. I didn't see him genuflecting to an Islamic. He didn't economy. with a complete virtue signal reading of history from their own propagandist point of view. I didn't see any of that. Okay, me. I, I hope you're right because I kind of like him, which makes me wonder: Am I deceived? Back here on Blaze TV radio and podcast, and um, our state of Iowa has been one of the battlegrounds on the convent for the convention of states movement here over the last couple of years, and so they're coming to our state next week. Right as I'm leaving, it actually to go to the, go to the Tim Pool show, um, and uh, also. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to pick the brain of one of the smartest people I've had a chance to get to know in this business since I started in it. Michael Ferris has worn many hats in our movement over the years, and now one of them uh, has the Convention of States logo on it. Michael, it's good to see you, my friend. How are you? Steve, it's great to see you. Glad to be with you. Let's we, let's let's table the Convention of States talk for a few minutes because my okay. audience is very well versed on that. Okay, so but we'll we'll hit it for sure. I want to have a sure. broader conversation with you and pick your brain about where we are and i am a believer and this is this frankly ties into convention of states uh, as i've said to you know a, who's a guy who's become a good friend of mine mark meckler who's your mucky muck over there i've said to him on our show yeah. and privately before i used to hear phyllis schlafly's arguments against this and was sympathetic to them because the idea that if you're going to throw a hail mary pass it can't be intercepted is just not true it can be so that's why you don't throw a Hail Mary pass in the second quarter of the game. Okay, you throw it at the end of the game when if you're behind on the scoreboard and if the game ends, you lose. And I think on a broad level, regardless of someone's individual perspective on the convention of states, I, I think that's where we are. Mike, in the Arkansas State Legislature yesterday, a man was asked while dressed as a woman, 
do you have a penis? And I frankly thought it was one of the most um, insightful questions I have seen in quite some time, which I think speaks to where we are right now, brother. I think the two-minute warning, at the very least, <laughs> the two-minute warning in the game has sounded, Mar- Mike, or am I, am I blowing this out of proportion? Um, I don't think so. One of the cultural signals that just sent me uh, as close to the edge as I can get is uh, drag queen story hours yeah. in libraries with little kids. That that one just takes the cake. Uh, it, it's amazing what's going on. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that um, we are in a, a, a do or die kind of moment from a governmental sense. I don't say the same thing in all sectors of life because, but we have to remember that that life in America in this country is bigger than the government. But the government's teetering on the edge of complete collapse. As we, you know, I, I, the New York Times said, I think it was yesterday, that we're headed for another $19 trillion in debt in the next 10 years. Um, you know, that, that's getting us up in the $50 trillion range. Uh, that's enough just economically. If it wasn't for the moral crisis, if it wasn't for the freedom crisis. Uh, but I, I have more hope because of, um, well, frankly, the passage of the parable of the persistent widow when it, it says, uh, Jesus commends her and says, and when I return, we'll have faith on the earth, which means that our job as believers is to consistently be demanding justice in the face of injustice. And on that basis, on the basis of the promises of God, I have hope. On the basis of what's going on around us from a human perspective, I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I have articulated to our audience what I kind of think are the meta stakes we're playing for right now. I I think that we are, to me, the, the low bar is the end of Western civilization, or as it used to be known, basically Christendom. That's that's the minimal stakes I think we're playing for. And if you yeah. know you know your history, what predated um, what, what predated Western civilization or Christendom, you're looking at druids, you're looking at uh, Thor worship, uh, Odin's son. Um, you're talking about you know uh, sort of a, a, a technocratic, a dark ages without a, bu- a bubonic plague of people starving and and getting poisoned by rat feces because of modern technology. But it's technocratic. It's governed by ESG, social credit scores. You have the, on the outside you have the accoutrements of modernity, but they're all controlled. <clears throat> pardon me by by central uh, hubs of power within government to you know electric cars. So you, you, the the amount of distance you can drive and where you can go. They have control of essentially everything. Basically, China is what I. To me, that's that's the minimum stakes, and it's possible we are living in kind of an end of days type of scenario. Is that nuts? It's not nuts, but um, not not by any means. I mean, the the everything you describe is real. It's not imagined. You're not uh, basing your ideas on on those things. But <clears throat> I mean, I, I again, I go back to the spiritual. Um, when we're surrounded by forces of, of darkness, we have to look up and see the forces of God uh, that are also arrayed against the enemy. Mm-hmm. And so um, we 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 have hope. We have a reason for hope. I've been, you know, in, in situations where I've been up against the wall uh, in the homeschool, battle for homeschool freedom, for example, um, you know, for 25 years, government officials said it's not lawful for you to homeschool. The most powerful group in the country said you can't you can't do this. So we're going to oppose you in every state legislature. And they had all the power that they needed uh, in, in all the legislatures. But one by one by one, uh, I was there on the front row when um, we won. And we ha- can't explain that from human perspective alone. God's perspective is, is a big part of it. So 
Uh, in fact, it's central to it. So I, I, I'm a mixture of realism and hope based on the combination of what I can see with my eyes and then what I can see with the eyes of faith. Amen to that. Because the, the hope to me is th- these are very clarifying times. Yeah. And you know me, I, I'm, I'm an odd bird. I don't mind clarity even when it's bad. Most people hate it because it usually is bad. Okay. And so most of, most of uh, us as a species avoid clarity. I just like knowing what the truth is. And so uh, if, if the clarity means we're down to basically, a, a, you know, a Gideon's fleece here of water sur- slurpers, and it's only a few uh, that's left uh, to stand up against the speeder, spirit of the age, I'm okay with that. I'd rather know who's on my team than keep getting shanked in the back by people wearing in my jersey so we live in an odd time you know i just had naomi wolf on our show uh she's been on here several times the last few years the 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 clinton administration you know ambassador of feminism and now she does shows with steve bannon it's an it's a it, it is truly a time of odd bedfellows but that's what clarity provides and i'd i'd rather know who's willing to stand in the gap and fight even if it is naomi wolf and not maybe a lot of the people that i have uh, you know bought the books for or voted for in the past. I'd rather know that now before it really goes down. Well, I, I agree with that. Uh, the the, um, the Republican Party, as an example, uh, has developed a, a pattern of saying one thing and doing another, and and that's the opposite of clarity. That that's uh, that's deviousness, uh, and it's you know, but. There are people within the party. There are people, you know, there are certain uh, breaths of fresh air. Sure. Um, uh, Ron DeSantis. I mean, I heard him speak again the, uh, about a week ago and a breath of fresh air because he says what he means. He doesn't hold any punches. He says it with excellence. And so, I mean, I view him as a breath of fresh air and, and, and a source of, of hope. But but. All that to say, no one person, even if they're elected president of the United States, is going to solve all of our problems. We have we have a bigger set of problems, and legally and politically, we need to be doing everything we possibly can to make the changes that we we can and hold on to freedom for for the, the foreseeable future to do whatever is within our power. So this this is a good way to segue to the specific conversation about convention of states. Because the, beyond the just my own diagnosis of the lateness of the hour, and I think it's time now to start pra- at least practicing the Hail Mary pass, if not getting yeah. ready to throw it. On top of that, I think there is a secondary and very constructive uh, place for for this initiative in that because of the, the what you said about the Republican Party in general, with a few limited exceptions— our people are increasingly feeling as if they lack agency, they lack representation, that if they're, that if, when they vote, they'll be lucky if their votes actually get counted. And then if they do count, the people they'll often elect will make them not count once they get into office anyway. So what is the point? And when you spread a level of hopelessness to people who own about 300 million guns, I know you've read history books, Mike. You know how that usually ends, right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so I, I prefer that to not end that way. You know, I like uh, being the ugly American and having pizza delivered and, and taking time off to watch the NCAA tournament. I prefer to not have that nihilistic zero-sum end but for that to happen, I think we've got to give our people affirmative, constructive places where they still feel like they have a voice and can initiate change. And I think this might be one of the last peaceable options on the table to aggressively have the average person still feel like they have agency and a voice for radical but peaceable change in the country. 
Well, that's exactly why I went to Mark Meckler about 10 years ago and urged him to join with me to start the Convention of States project, because Article 5 was given to us by the founders for just this time. Frankly, it should have been used 50, 60, 70 years ago, but especially now it's needed. And, and that is that um, George Mason stood up on the floor of the convention and said there's going to be a day when the federal government abuses its authority. And when that happens, we can't depend on Congress to propose amendments to the Constitution to rein in federal abuses of power. That has to come from the states. And mm -hmm. so his, his proposal was adopted NEMCOM, meaning without debate. Everybody said, like, duh, yeah, that's right. And they, they added a state uh, controlled method of amending the Constitution, just so that we can rein in the abuse of power by Congress. I testified in the legislature of uh, Kansas yesterday, and uh, there was an opponent there, and the chief, uh, chairman of the committee said, so what's your plan? What What are you going to do to so stop all these abuses of power? And I mean, in, in context, it was pretty clearly a, a pro-convention of states comment by the chairman, so I was encouraged by that. But, but that's the deal. This is a plan to stop the abuse of federal power. And it's like having a kid that's 250 years old and their parents never uh, discipline them once. Mm -hmm. Article 5 is the discipline method for the child called the um, government of the United States to be disciplined by the parents. That is the people in, this, in the states. We have the authority to do this and we need to take that authority and use it properly for the first time in American history. So where is this at now in total around the country? How much progress has been made? There are 19 states that have adopted the Convention of States resolution that does three things. It, imposes, it gives us a chance to adopt amendments on these three subjects, proposing fiscal restraints on the federal government, term limits on federal officials, and reductions of federal power and jurisdiction. So anything in that zone is germane. Anything on any other area, like reducing our rights, is not germane and would not be permitted under the convention. So um, 19 states, we hope that Iowa uh, or Wyoming, uh, both are in progress. New Hampshire's uh, in progress, made some progress along the way this year. And there are a few others, but uh, we're hoping to get to the low 20s this year. We need 34 states in order to have the convention. I've heard the argument from people I adore and have an immense amount of respect for that this, given the condition of the people, this is probably not the best time to give them this much power. And I say that I say this as a guy, I'm a total depravity kind of guy. That's exactly, yeah. it's because the condition of the people that we've got to throw this Hail Mary pass in my opinion, right now. That's the urgency of the hour. This is maybe the last chance that uh, Samuel Adams' small, committed, and organized minority can actually do an end run uh, as the Visigoths come over the wall here. Because I don't, I don't see us gr building some critical mass of consensus. I mean, we can't even get Anthony Fauci held accountable for obvious crimes against humanity. So the idea that there's going to be a systemic mass consensus of, of sanity, uh, barring revival... I, I don't see that happening. I think this is the it's because of the condition of the people that maybe this provides an opportunity for that small, committed minority to organize themselves in a way to push back as the Visigoths come over the wall here. Well, the people that wrote the, the Constitution agreed with you that all men are sinners and they wrote Article five 
with the assumption that it was going to be sinners that were going to be doing this, not saints. Mm -hmm. And what they wanted was one group of sinners, um, the states, deciding how much power the other group of sinners, Congress, should have. They didn't like the idea that Congress could decide its own power. And so, you know, it, it, it's the question of not where are the saints we're going to get, is which sinners do you want to decide how much power Congress should have? I want somebody other than that those sinners in Washington, D.C. I want the states to decide that. Are they going to be saints? No. Will there be some decent people? Will there be some good, honorable people? Yeah, I, I believe so. Um, will there be some people with some foresight? Yeah, I believe so. But it still is made for sinful men. Our government was created on that assumption. Checks and balances, federalism, levels of power, all those things were under the theme of we're not going to give any agency of power too much government or to any agency of government too much power because sinful men should never be trusted with too much power. Hmm. Well said, brother. Where can people go to follow the progress, uh, find out where their state is at and uh, get involved if they want to? Uh, conventionofstates.com is the, the website and urge you to uh, your people to go. And we're going to have an event in Iowa next Monday um, and they can go on the website and get the details for that. And we'd lo love to see them if they're in Iowa and uh, we're going all over the country. I know you, you are all over the country now. And so, um, you know, just check the website. We have events going uh, and testimony and legislatures going in many, many parts of the country right now. Good to see you again, Mike. It's been too long, brother. God bless you. Okay. Take care. Thanks, Steve. God bless. You bet. We have some breaking news, right? Another train derailment. These yeah. are just going to happen daily now, apparently. Like I and, said and hazardous are... materials again. This just happened outside of Detroit, like in the last 10 minutes, right? I think yes. I saw the alert. Yeah, this is the point I was making. We have reached a point when taking over the institutions. It's at full-on terrorist level. There are dem every level. Schools, infrastructure, medicine. Yeah. Let's us you are able to do things like that when you have already captured those institutions. You can you can pull off there's a random event like a 9-11 where you can circumvent a lot of people's collective soft-headedness once. Mm -hmm. Okay. The fact that you can keep doing this, you can keep flying balloons overhead, yes. you can keep blowing up trains with hazardous materials, okay, and in residential or yes. heavily populated areas on an almost daily basis. You're able to do those things when you have already captured those institutions. And so you know where every nook and cranny is, right? You know where every dim lit area of the darkened path happens to be, wherever Every, um, you know, every trap door, you've got the Marauder's map, basically, okay, uh, to civilization. You have the Rosetta Stone. You get to do stuff like that when you already own it. And you're almost certain there will be no discernible pushback. Right, right. Because to put the safeguards in place to prevent you from doing those things would expose the would expose everybody's hands in the enabling of allowing you to do those things in the first place. And furthermore, you know, thinking that, uh, you know, these people may play uh, four-dimensional chess, keep doing this, forces a, a shutdown until we figure it out, and then things, just like with the lockdowns, it just creates a culture of expecting things getting shut down. And they don't want, and talk about the book you're competing with, Greta Thunberg. They don't want trains running on fuel they they don't they don't want people flying all over the place this is how they are going to paralyze people through fear and taking everything away amen and that is a great segue to where we're going next with theology thursday stay tuned 
And greetings back with Hour 2, live and on demand right here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre. All of you, and all of you, hopefully though not all at once, can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. I think this week, again, this is what happens. I, I'm, I might need to hire, um, what are those called, ergonomists? Or ergonomics, the people who, you know, like spacing and inventory and timing and those sorts of things to make sure you're using the best use of your time and space. Okay. Is that, is that what it's called or something like that? Um, because when you release a book and begin a marketing campaign for a national theatrical release in the same week, you end up with an impossible amount of emails to keep up with. <laughs> who knew? Who knew that was going to happen? Uh, Steve at SteveDace.com, though. I'm trying to get through them as fast as I can. And I'm appreciative of each of each and every one of them. Well, most of them. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E, like us on Facebook, MeWe, and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter, Getter, Instagram, and TikTok. And then look for me as well over on Truth Social at Real Steve Dace there. And if you're a podcast listener, thank you so very much for being a part of the program, a big part of the program, in fact, maybe the biggest. Um, You guys have been as big a factor as anyone into the continued growth of our show and our continued employment. So we are very thankful to you. Please show that you're thankful for the show. If you wouldn't mind hitting uh, the subscribe or follow button on whichever podcast platform you use, leave us a five-star review if you like it. You know, if, if you're like, gosh, I can't stand this show. First, I'd ask then why waste your time on it? You know, life's too short for that. We wouldn't ask you to lie. If you're like, it's okay, we would ask you to exaggerate, like totally exaggerate. Just go right to five stars, all right? Uh, and uh, thank you to all of you that have given us one of those five-star reviews. Uh, all They have helped our show. I have no idea how. I'm just told that they have. So thank you to each and every one of you. Let's introduce a brand new partner here on the show, Nutrafol. You don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health any longer. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. Get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth. No drugs, no compromises. Um, Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth uh, nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi-target the root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, lifestyle, and more for whole body health. Physician formulated using natural medical grade ingredients. It's drug free. It's a patented technology that provides consistent, reliable results without compromising your sexual health as well. That can happen uh, with some uh, hair products as we get older, guys. In a clinical study, men showed both improvement in hair growth and thickness after three and six months. So if you want to get the name that is trusted and recommended by more than 3,000 doctors, grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com slash men. Nutra, N-U-T-R-A, fall, F-O-L, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men and enter the promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, for $15 off your first month's subscription. $15 off plus free shipping in every order. $15 off your first month's subscription with the promo code DACE at Nutrafol, N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Nutrafol dot com. All right. Let us continue on our study of a nefarious plot, which is breaking Todd, and we are barely halfway into this. 
We are at the point of the book now where Nefarious is itemizing the plan with specifics of how he has irrevocably, in his mind anyway, taken down the United States of America. And this week, we're looking at what he did to us to create us, to, to make us into a debtor nation. That's the name of the chapter, debt. And before I turn it over to you guys, I got to start with this. These are the words of Nefarious. Allow me to share the actual numbers with you, if only because it will be yet another worthwhile reminder of how truly awesome I am and how truly toast you are. At the time I was writing this, so this would be the uh, spring of 2014. Spring or summer of 2014 is when this was written, so nearly a decade ago. At the time I was writing this, your national debt was $18 trillion. Let me just stop right there. We were losing our minds. We were having a Tea Party movement as I was writing this book. Over $18 trillion in debt right now. They are discussing expanding the debt ceiling. By the way, isn't a ceiling supposed to be like a definitive? A hole. A a def- hole. It's a hole. That's what ceiling is. It's a hole. <laughs> See, he's broken. He's totally broken. A ceiling typically means a definitive structure that... Definitively defines what the what the height or top of said structure is, right? I'm reliably told that a ceiling is whatever Vladimir Volinsky wants. Nice. So ceilings now, I, ceilings are non-binary now. The ceilings identify as, <laughs> as something other. Ceilings identify as holes, malleable flexibilities. All right. Um, the debt ceiling extension that we are currently plotting and debating, folks, it's nineteen trillion dollars. It's more than what Nefarious was bragging about here in this book when it when when it was when it was written in the spring and summer of 2014 and on into the. It took me a year to write this book because I mean I took months away from writing it because it was just too dark for me. What does that tell you? This book, you were talking about the movie yesterday and about I know how the trailer is constructed and people. This book actually is darker. Oh, there's no question the book is darker than the movie. There's no question that it is. (laughs) Yeah, there's at least a redemptive subplot in the film. Yeah, there is nothing redemptive in this book at all. It's just a, it's just a your mama joke. It's a, it's a 240 some odd page demonic your mama your mama joke, uh, interrupted every now and then with just spiking the ball in the end zone and uh, twerking in your face as if you were a toddler. At Drag Queen Story Time Hour. That's that's all that it is. To put that astronomical in, number in perspective, nefarious rights. So keep in mind, keep in mind, this is about a dollar amount that we're long, we've long just doubled since this just, just was written. If you spent just one dollar per day every day since the carpenter was born more than 2,000 years ago, you would have spent one trillion by now let alone 18. In fact, you'd still be 300 billion with a B, $300 billion short of where our debt was at this time, that the book was written almost a decade ago. And why did he go back to the birth of the carpenter? Because the birth of Christ is literally the fundamental keeping of time in the world since that event. If your national debt 
were laid out in a single file line of $1 bills. It would stretch from your planet all the way past Uranus. Obviously, there's a joke there, but the joke's on you. I'll stop now. Except to add, by the way, if you didn't know, the planet Uranus is about 2 billion miles away from planet Earth. He's ragging on us that our debt is 103% of our gross domestic product. Gosh, those were, those were the days. Wouldn't it be great to have a, <laughs> a gross domestic product that's only 103% national debt? That, folks, this is before beginning with the Trump administration COVID bailouts and uh, hence and, and all time forward, henceforward. Um, we have printed about 80% of all dollar bills in supply in the money supply in the history of this country have come in the last three years. Hence massive inflation, like a 16% increase in the consumer price index in just the last two years. This means nefarious rights. The most valuable asset in your economy is your debt. Debt is the most valuable asset in your economy. Every American household on average is on the hook for $148,000 of that. And only about 5% of American households make that much money annually as it is. I will stop because I think Todd is going to begin self-harming if I don't. And I will give you the floor, Todd. Well, this is why on Tuesday, knowing we were going to watch the trailer that day that on Twitter that morning I tweeted out uh, prepare to be nefarious you're so screwed enjoy and I put the gif and I love it of this raging inferno going on in the background but in the foreground there's this girl on a swing set that's nefarious that's it's just it perfectly sums up this book he, he's just he he's at play knowing that you, you you just won't orient yourself to some simple, obvious truths, which is why, again, he can show you this book. You just simply refuse to. Case in point, two perfect tweets came out within the last week that I saw. Both, I think, were from libs of TikTok. Not the normal stuff that your daughter's been showing us about gender stuff. Mm -hmm. These were interesting. There were two people. Uh, one was looks like a college-age student. Another one looked like a middle-aged uh, woman who based on some other visuals may very well believe all the other libs of TikTok things. But the the woman was an artist and she was complaining, I do good work. I'm out there. No one will buy my stuff. Mm -hmm. Buy my stuff. This is Somebody needs to make this happen. The government needs to make this happen. Like I'm producing value. The kid was saying, I don't like, I just want to eat and have a good time. Why should I have to have a job and have a meaningless existence? Like, uh, we people should just be supported. They don't have to do things just to do that. We, we believe from multiple perspectives how ridiculous this all is, how unsustainable it is. But based on everything you just said, these weren't the grown-ups in charge of that. They are in many ways now, but they weren't. 80s, 90s in many respects. Can, on some level, can we blame those two idiots for believing the things they do after we ran up a tab like that in the name of 
all manner of road to good intentions. Can we really blame them? With the level of debt, as you said, that number that you said that we all are on the hook mm -hmm. for, it's it's functionally meaningless. Mm -hmm. It doesn't. There's a certain point where you just can't pay the tab. Yeah, it's called judgment proof. Yeah, right. That, that, so, that's it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the wayward tenant who's already been evicted. Yeah. Because they can't, they couldn't afford the rent, or they weren't willing to pay it yeah. in the first place, and so they've got a period of time to find another place before they yeah. are, they have to be out. And then what do they do yeah. to the place on the way out? So they they trash the place yeah. because they're judgment proof. There's, there's no point suing yeah. them. They, 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 they don't have an, anything that you would, you want to get a lien or yeah. you, you want to get against their pay. They don't have a job. They're judgment proof. There's no point in going after them because they're just so far gone that it would just be, it's a loss leader sunk cost for you to try otherwise. So aren't these two idiots I'm talking about, aren't they just well catechized members of the, the church of the age? See, I, I'm... I'm glad that you use the term catechized because we often talk about these economic issues as if they are separate from the spiritual or moral um, dilemmas that we face as a society when they are absolutely not their part and parcel. The more immoral a people become, the bigger the government will become every single time, beginning with law enforcement, right? The more immoral people become, the more we will demand law enforcement and the more we will demand actions of government to grow in order to confront the manifest, the manifesting criminality slash sinfulness of the overall population. They, these things go together. This is what John Adams meant when he said, this is a constitution only meant for a religious and moral people. It's wholly inadequate to the governing, governing of any other kind. Because you, you, you can't have a limited government with limited principle in a culture. You can't. The more virtue a culture loses, the bigger the government will grow, both in response to the sinfulness and then in place of the God that's been replaced. Right? The Chesterton line we've quoted a lot over the years, when the government removes the God, Todd, the government becomes the God. And that's why debt was a part of the issue here. Because now it's, it's okay, I acted out sinfully. I got pregnant out of wedlock. That's my story with my mom, right? Would, 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 would Vicki Ray Wright have needed to be on Wix, ADC, and food stamps at 16, 17, 18 years old if she uh, weren't unmarried with a baby? Would she need to be on those programs? Much, much less likely. Much less, less likely, yeah. So she was on those programs because... God bless her, mm -hmm. you know, God, what, what my, what, you know, my, God used my mom's sin to bring me into the world and give me the life and the calling that I have. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if, if, if she had not committed that act of sin, she would not have been required. Mm -hmm. uh, she would not have, she would not have required those services. Same thing, same thing with abortions and everything else. It's, it's, it's very rare for a married, a woman who's happily married and is pregnant to walk mm -hmm. into Planned Parenthood and say, you know, I'm really having second thoughts about having this kid. Most of the women that walk in there are either not happily married or not married at all. Okay. So the idea that these things are divorced from one another, the, and this was a big debate at the time I was writing the book, right? The, 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 this was being heavily debated on the right, that we could be um, uh, fiscally conservative and socially liberal. There were, there were even elements of the Tea Party movement at the time that were making these claims. Well, let's just talk about the debt and nothing else. Well, where did the debt come from? Why is the debt there? 
almost all of it is discretionary spending or entitlements. Discretionary spending would indicate that you have some form of ability to determine how much of other people's money you are entitled to or, 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 or to act, have access to. Entitlements would indicate you have an, a built-in right to other people's things. Built in. It's automatic. Um, the Bible has a word for people who think they have a built-in right to other people's stuff. You know what it is? Thief. When it's, what's one of the commandments? Don't steal. steal. Yeah. So what, what Nefarious describes in this chapter, and then I'll hand the conversation over to you guys from here. What Nefarious describes in this chapter is before we took the sin, we took our, the sins of the, that, that came out that became mainstreamed out of the sexual revolution with homosexuality being the most obvious of those, but not the only one. Before we took the, 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 our, our sinfulness that was incentivized by the sexual revolution and made that into a political coalition, we did it already. Before we did, hey, don't commit adultery, became a, um, those people who thought otherwise about adultery got to be a powerful political constituency. We took, this, we took the commandment against covetousness. Don't covet. Don't steal. We took those two commands and made them a powerful political constituency first and foremost and that's what he's addressing here and now everybody everybody's in on it everybody has a suckling spot on the government okay. team no one can divorce no one can afford to divorce themselves from it because it's in government in whom we live and breathe there's something like one third or more of the states in the country that government is the largest industry in that state when i tell you that every state's number one budget line item is education what sector does education spending come from? The public or the private? The public every time. And so that's also government. That's also debt. I'll hand it off to you guys now. Well, unless you have something, I just, I, I think we had a lot of the conversation about this chapter during the weeks we discussed yeah. the Bitcoin book. Correct. Is that, oh, go, yeah. ahead, go ahead, Aaron, if, you, if that's what you're well, thinking. Well, I, I just think this... And I was going to bring this up at the end of, of last segment, talking about the train derailment, uh, the, the one outside of Detroit. And I hope, you know, it looks like nothing smoking right now from the, uh, the cars that were derailed. So I hope that means that this is not going to be as serious as the one in East Palestine, Ohio. But you look at these instances and something that's become clear in my thinking in, in recent years. Degradation. Degradation of customer service, degradation of quality of the products you buy, of the services you hire out. Those are all examples, not just of the person doing them or what, what person selling them to you, but inherently they're examples, or at least they can be examples, and in many cases are examples of a failing morality. Essentially, and this the, in the Bitcoin book gets into this, when you degrade money, you degrade people's uh, um, um, uh, will to buy things for an increased price because that's what it requires to get the same quality. And so you just have the silly circle of death where you're paying the same amount for cheaper and cheaper stuff. So how this relates to the train derailment, let's just give the most banal explanation, maximum benefit of the doubt. 
this train derailed or the, the, the tracks that it was on were not kept up. What, what is the explanation for that? More often than not in these types of things, I would say, whether it's on the road or within any business, is because the business kind of lapsed in taking care of their own stuff. They're taking care of their own assets. Why did they do that? Well, there's any number of reasons, but we don't have a functioning mm -hmm. economy mm -hmm. because of everything that's in this chapter. Todd, I know for you, especially in the last year, especially going through that book, this has been stripped bare. I knew growing up, we knew during the Tea Party, which is invoked in this chapter, we knew that debt was bad. It's not been laid bare for enough of us, though, that you cannot divorce economic policy from the rest of the mor moral failings of the, the rest of your society. You just can't. To put it another way, you know, when, you, when the government takes away God, the government becomes God. To put it another way, when government is not doing its God-ordained job of punishing evil... And rewarding good, but punishing evil especially, it must necessarily it must must necessarily then punish good. Mm -hmm. It must. It it's going to punish do, something. It's going to punish something. And so, when the government fails at that, it will fail at everything else. A people that has the appetite for any number of peccadillos ain't going to have the appetite to pay their own debt, man. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I don't know what it looks like when this bubble bursts eventually. I just know it's not going to look good. There are things even now we could do. But none of us, as Todd was saying earlier, none of us. And I mean like a very small percentage of us because we were all born into this inherently broken and immoral system. Basically, none of us have the appetite to do and face the truth of what's actually happening. There are still way too many who say, I'm fiscally conservative, morally liberal. That, that's just nonsense. That's not really a question. I, I don't know if you can pick up anything from sure. that. Sure. I can go right back to the book, Nefarious Rights. And again, this is almost 10 years ago. Nefarious writes, there are currently 148 million Americans collecting entitlement checks of some sort from the U.S. government. But there are only 86 million taxpayers working in the private sector protecting or uh, paying into the system. Let me rephrase that. 148 million Americans collecting entitlement checks of some kind from the U.S. taxpayer. But only 86 million taxpayers working in the private sector that are paying into the system. That means there are 70% more tax takers then there are tax payers. Well, Steve, people that, you know, are on government checks or do government jobs, they pay taxes too. They do, but their entire construct is a loss leader. That's why you have to be for limited government. Even the vital services, a military, police, even every one of those, any anytime the government, governments don't have money. They only confiscate it or print it and thus devalue the money you have. So government in and of itself is an inflationary construct. That's why you want it limited. Limited to things that you can't handle or, 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 or manage individually. So when a government grows beyond those limits, as this one has, way beyond, you end up, you end up now with an inverted system. Because it is so large, you have 70% more people that are taking from it than are paying into it. 
And that's why you just have to keep rolling that debt over and over and over again. Let's close with this. And I want to get you guys a take on this. Nefarious writes, Would you like to know what it looks like when nobody tells you no? Then look no further than Detroit. Flashback to the 1950s when Detroit was the wealthiest city in America. Stop and think about that for a second. In the 1950s, Detroit was the wealthiest city in America, but that is before it decided it could say yes to everything and nobody and nothing was worthy of saying no to. Now the city owes, and again, this is almost a decade ago. Now the city owes over 100,000 creditors and has filed for bankruptcy. It's home to over 70 hazardous waste dumps. It's popular, so if you want to know why there was a, there's a train outside of Detroit carrying hazardous materials that derailed today, probably on the way to one of the 70 hazardous waste dumps in Detroit. Its population is the lowest it's been since before Henry Ford invented the assembly line. It lost 25% of its population in the last census alone. It has over, listen to this number, 78,000 abandoned homes. 78,000. How many, what are there, three, four cities in Iowa that have 78,000 or more people? That's more abandoned homes than the second largest city in Montana has people. Almost half the city's residents are illiterate. 60% of the city's children live in poverty. The violent crime rate is five times the national average. Only 7% of the eighth graders are reading proficient. The city has less than 10% of the manufacturing jobs it had 50 years ago. One of every three pregnancies in the city ends with a mom killing her kid. Thanks to your belief in your basic goodness, which comes right from my master's encouragement, that you can be like you-know-who if you just follow your own instincts and not his instructions. You have become the worst evil ever unleashed upon the creation, and Detroit is living proof of this. I'll stop there. Thoughts? I've long thought that one of the issues with... and Yesterday we talked about... uh, uh, Francis Fukuyama, the end of history. We've arrived. And that w- America began losing its mojo once we, we didn't have a sense that there were any more frontiers. I, I think one of the frontiers, uh, maybe in our lives yet, Steve, but certainly in our children's lives, couldn't end up being reclaiming the inner cities on every level. I, I, I think... The in going back to unpacking Bitcoin, the the fool's gold of the suburbs and 30 year mortgages and things like that. Again, very many good intentioned principles behind that. But how that's led not only to a devaluing of currency, but a devaluing of these those that was is there is there motor city detroit along with its classic cultural melting pot music motown when that place was humming isn't that pure americana steve Mm -hmm. and now it's what you just described we 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 sold out our birthright in places like that for 30-year fixed mortgages. 
I have one too. Like, what's more common than that? What is more common than that in terms of our assets, our aspirations? Yet we've created these pits of hell. Because what have our priorities really been at the end of the day? And there's many good Christians love Jesus, but we all have blind spots. And the more I learn, and I've always really, I just, economics kind of bores me. I understand the bare essentials. I just, but th this debt chapter is pregnant with spirit-filled questions. Aaron, you get the last word. Agreed. And it's, again, as we talked in the, the Bitcoin book as well, it's difficult and sensitive for all of us because this is an immoral system that we were that we were born into. And the lie is easy to be told. Well, this is just our system. This is just our system. We are a creditor or debtor system. That's just what it takes in this system. That's what allows us to have the standard of living. That just because something is your system does not mean it is broken or evil or not evil. Ours is. Ours is. And there's only a very select few who can live outside of that system, which is why this is such a difficult issue. And I don't think that's on accident. We'll come back. Let's lighten the mood maybe at least a little bit. Three non-political questions will be next. It is finally time, if you're not already, uh, to get hooked up with our friends at Constitution Wealth and align your portfolio and your investments with your values and with your principles. They don't have to be at loggerheads any longer. They can help guide you down the path uh, through the narrow gate here. Uh, where you get the ROI and the and the yield that you're looking for, but to, not at the cost of your belief system and your convictions at the exact same time. They're looking for like-minded people who are ready to invest and potentially change the financial landscape of America. You can make your you can put your portfolio, you can deploy it in the culture war and make money, make a profit at the exact same time. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to do that if you can? Go to uh, investwithcw.com slash Steve. That's investwithcw for Constitution Wealth. Investwithcw.com slash Steve. Schedule a free consultation today. If nothing else, you're going to like these guys. They are fiery. They're smart. They're passionate. Um, they know their stuff. In other words, they're kind of like this show. Uh, investwithcw, well, investwithcw.com slash Steve. Again, that's investwithcw.com slash Steve. And now it is time for three non-political questions. I'm just cutting right to myself here because I didn't have the intro queued up. Do you want me to sing it? Please. Um, go. Um, no. Three non-political questions. We're doing three non-political yeah, questions. There's a couple of and drops. And I'm here from, with my dad. He doesn't know. From I'm an sorry. apologist. And okay. there's Richard Dawkins talking about the moral compass of chimpanzees. Three non-political questions. Lightening the mood. What's the most painful example you have of having to put a pet down? These were going to be lighter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, what's the best argument, if any, you've heard against young earth creationism? I'll let you Wait, take that one what's first. What's the worst? The best. The best, if any. The, the best? I, I'm going to be... I, 
if I thought there was a best, I I think it would have stuck with me and I would have been able to tell you. I, I well, I, okay. I, I guess the best is, uh, a, 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 a faith-filled belief in biblical inerrancy. I, I, That's that's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? I think I'd rather talk about the most painful experience I've had putting a pet down. <laughs> See, I started there thinking that this would take the edge off of this question. Uh, at least I think that's what my my inbox right now is. Just talk about your pet. Talk about the dead pet, please. All right. It's already overloaded. We can't keep up, Steve. Talk about a dead pet. That is what my inbox wants me to discuss. Listen, there's a... And for how much of uh church history did good faithful intelligent well-intentioned men believe that you know so you know i i think i think it belittles you know simply because you have more knowledge now to simply cast aside that it's an utterly foolish notion It's, it's it's one I don't share, but this is one area where we, we have many tools at our disposal that uh, the ancients didn't. Now, I don't think this is a a deal breaker one way or the other. I think they were, they didn't have, we just got done talking. They didn't have many of the stupid, ridiculous comforts and distractions that now have us wallowing in what I believe to be far more consequential non-truths than this one. But I, I don't know. I hope I'm... Here's, here's the best argument against young earth creationism. It actually happens to be this, the best argument for it as well. Uh, God's really God and God's really powerful and he could do anything if he wanted to. Because that's what we ultimately have to fall back on with young earth creationism, isn't it? I remember one time I used to be fascinated by the question, how did light from stars billions of miles away reach us? Okay, they would have had to have been created billions of years ago, right? And I remember you fielding that same question one time, Steve, and you're like, "No, I mean, you know, God could create the light, whatever He wanted to." Um, so that's that's the same. I, to me, it's the same argument. Yeah, I he mean, exists outside he exists of time and space. Outside of time and space, he could have created the Earth anything any way he wanted to. I just default to. This is what the Bible actually says. It seems to be fairly clear about it in Genesis, and so I, you know. Six literal days, or seven literal days, I should say. On that front, I've mentioned this on the show before. There's a book by Gerard Schroeder called The Science of God. When I read this, it, and there, it, it blew me away. And I had never heard it before. And this guy is a, a, a physicist slash Hebrew scholar. I mean, he's got his mind in both worlds. He's not just relaying something he heard, but he's... When he said, "What we now, what we know, what we've measured uh, with uh, telescopes and uh, advanced science and things like that about the how many point million billion years uh, that the universe has been existence, how long light takes to get from one place to the other." And then they said, "The question comes up: Well, the six days of creation." And he says, "But what? What? Somehow, I don't remember all of it, but." It, if, it has to do with Einstein, but if you calculate from the point of the Big Bang, if you have that frame of reference, looking out into creation, which by definition is God's perspective or the closest thing, it's 
because of relativity, what we see as millions, billions of years, it is actually, the math actually calculates out to six days. Hmm. I think mean, it's like, oh my goodness. As someone who's interviewed people from Ken Ham to Hugh Ross on this question and covered a lot of intelligent design, because that, because our university, when, when uh, the Privileged Planet was released about 20 years ago, it was actually a professor, Guillermo Gonzalez from Iowa State University, yeah. who did that book with the, or did that book and, and documentary with the Discovery Institute. Yeah. So I've known Guillermo for years. And so I've, I've I have, and also that came out right around the time of my own Christian conversion. So I was fascinated by these questions and interviewed old earth creationists like a Hugh Ross, young earthers, Ken Ham. I, you know, when we went into syndication, um, Ken invited us to bring our, our show out to, um, the creation museum. They were just breaking ground on Noah's, the Noah's Ark exhibit at that time. And so the whole family and I went out there and, uh, we spent a day out there and I did my show, uh, this would have been before you guys came to work here. I uh, did my show from out there for an entire day. So I've, I know people and have interviewed people across the gamut on this. If Hugh were here today, um, and you know maybe he's got a more nuanced position than what he had before, but their arguments were that it is not entirely hermeneutical clear, hermeneutical clear that in the Hebrew, um, the, the words that Moses speaks there about a day days. are literally meant to be six literal 24 hour days. Correct. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not taking a position. I was just asked what I, what, what those arguments are. Okay. Mm -hmm. So since Hugh is kind of the Ken Ham of old earth creationism, he's about the best source I could cite for a different view. So I'm citing him. All right. Mm -hmm. And then I'll leave it up to all of you to decide if you agree or disagree with him. Uh, the other is the Bible is not primarily a science textbook. Mm -hmm. It is meant to be taken literal where matters of faith are concerned uh, and matters of ethics are concerned and salvation. Um, but it is, you know, it's not a place that we go to to figure out how to do cardiology or um, geography or many other um, natural sciences. Um and, and, and so those things are, are things I've heard frequently. I, I, I disagree with Ken that if you don't have a young earth view, you have essentially abandoned sola scriptura. I disagree with that, but I do agree with Ken that if you abandon a young earth view, you're probably more likely to abandon Sola Scriptura, if that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Yep. Because the reason that most people don't want, don't accept young earth creationism is not because they have necessarily considered the, for, the, the, they're not having the debate Hugh Ross and Ken Ham have been having with each other for 20 years on this. They're not debating the true hermeneutical. It's because um, of the science. It's because they don't want to feel, they yeah. want to feel like they're conflicting with what popular science and the prevailing winds of the culture are. It's a little bit like women preaching in the church. Has, has, has God anointed, you know, everybody always points to Deborah in the, in the old Testament. Okay, as a, as a judge that God anointed, okay, for the preaching and teaching of the mm -hmm. word, and that that did happen, right? Yes. They always leave out the part, by the way, where Deborah looks at is it is it Barack that he, she she looks at and says, by the way, the fact that you're having me take lead on this, you're they're gonna laugh at you in the future because you're a complete pansy. They they forget that part. You know you know what I'm saying? They forget where Deborah herself is acknowledging this is not the natural order here. It's not the way this is supposed to work. You, even though I was given 
prophecy, you're still as the man supposed to take the lead. So, mm-hmm. so they always leave that part of it out, but I'll go with it. Okay. So could there be in, you know, uniquely gifted people uh, that happen to be women for the preaching and teaching of the word of God? Sure. Okay. But the vast majority, when I say vast majority, I mean like 99%. Okay. Like 99% of churches that put women in the pulpit, not like as a special event. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. in pastoral office, I guess I should say. All right. Let's specify that. 99% of the reason that a church puts a woman in a pastoral office, it is, it is, it is not because they think they have found a Deborah. It is, well, maybe 99% is too high. Let's say 90%. 90% yeah, of the time. Right the first time. No, that's the Catholic in you. 90% of the time, it's not because they think they found a Deborah. Um, it's because they are, they are abandoning orthodoxy. Okay. It is not to acknowledge the spiritual giftedness of the woman, but it is specifically to put the woman there to contradict and contravene the word of God and tradition and orthodoxy. They're making a political statement, not a prophetic one. That's the overwhelming majority. And I would also say the overwhelming majority of reasons that people give for why they end up either as an intelligent designer or an old earth creationist or Christian evolutionist, as Francis Collins described himself, uh, is because they are bowing to science. They, they, They don't believe the word of God stacks up against science and needs to be amended by the science rather than science by the word of God. And so while I disagree with Ken that you are automatically abandoning sola scriptura if you don't accept a young earth, particular young earth view, because even within young earthers, they disagree with each other. Okay. I do agree with Ken that most of the people that are inclined to abandon orthodoxy will do so for the same reasons that they are abandoning young earth creationism. It's because science sits at the head of the table, not the scriptures. Good answer. Uh, now a question on eschatology. No. Uh, what's your? <laughs> we did that already. We yeah. started the show. Is Elon Musk at the Antichrist? Uh, what's your Mount Rushmore of exciting Super Bowls off the top of your head? While well, both of you think of that, off the top of my head in my lifetime, I would say Super Bowl thirty-eight between the Panthers and the Patriots. It was. Uh, was it Delome? Was he the quarterback then? And I just yeah, remember. Jake Delome? Yeah, yeah, I just remember the. Uh, 80, hit the game-winning field yeah, goal there. Eighty-five yard touchdown pass in the the, the fourth quarter to uh, Mushin Muhammad. Mushin Muhammad. Thank yeah. you. That was exciting. Um, I think the next one um, wasn't that 40... the, the nipple slip Super Bowl too. I think. I don't remember. With Janet Jackson, I thought, or I maybe know. it was the previous year in Detroit. Never mind. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't. I don't know. Uh, for Super Bowl Super Bowl forty two. Uh, that was, wasn't that the Steelers? Yeah, that was the Steelers, uh, Cardinals Super Bowl. Oh, I was really in the corner of the end yeah, zone. I was really yeah. pulling for the Cardinals just because of the Kurt Warner thing. Super Bowl 43, that was Giants Patriots ended their uh, perfect season. And that was a low scoring game, but it was still pretty exciting, obviously down to the, down, down the end. And of course I got to put what just happened on Sunday. That was a pretty exciting Super Bowl too. Of course, Super Bowl, I think 51, that was the big comeback by the Patriots over the Falcons. That mm-hmm. should be up there too, but didn't make my list. I didn't watch that one actually. I would go with the when the Broncos broke the uh, streak of a- AFC futility against your Packers. Yeah, that was a good one. And that was one of the first great Super Bowls that we had had in in a while at the time. I recall that was back in around '97. That would be uh, that would be on my list. Um, um, I'm gonna go. Was it the w- which of the two? David Tyree was the one that beat the Patriots 43. when they were undefeated. Mm-hmm. Undefeated, yep, right? First. 
That was the, the first, first one. one yeah, because yeah, the second one was Mario Manningham, and the mm-hmm. first, but Tyree had that great catch, and the Patriots were going for undefeated. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to go with ones I that I'm, I remember watching. So my first Super Bowl was Super Bowl 15. So I'm not going before that. So like some of the Steeler Cowboy classics are before my time. Okay, so I'm starting with Super Bowl 15. I should clarify that. So I'm going with the 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 one the second year in a row that the Packers went and lost to John Elway on the helicopter run. Yeah. I'm going to go with. Um, uh, the David Tyree catch against the undefeated Patriots, that's two. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on the comeback from 28 to three, I think it was, in the second half um, with the Patriots. So that is three. And then I'm going with what is still my all-time favorite Super Bowl uh, because of the halftime show and what it meant and everything else. And that was uh, the first Super Bowl Brady won with the Patriots when um, uh, he led the drive down the field and Adam Vinatieri kicked the field goal at the end. Uh, that, was the, that was the second year in a row that the Rams made the Super Bowl with Kurt Warner. Those are my four. Uh, wait, so that, that's... Is that the Titans game? No, the Titans were... The, they beat the Titans the year before. Yeah. Oh, the second year. No, the second year okay. was the, when the Rams okay. came back. And uh, the and that was Brady's first Super Bowl. No, yeah, when they lost. No, uh, yeah, wow, we had a, I, I had I had that uh, Titans, Rams game. That was a really good yeah. football game. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, I, 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 other than that, I have the same list about the Packer game. I have the same about uh, the David Tyree catch. I'd put like the first, the first really good memorable one that I uh, th- that John t- the John Tyler uh, second. Uh, 49er Bengal Super Bowl always rings true to me as a, I mean, I don't know, what was I, a eighth grader or a freshman in high school when that one came along? That sticks with That's me. That's the John Taylor catch, yeah, right? Yeah, John Taylor. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great one, too. Yeah. Outside, finally, question three, outside of our dear sponsors on the Steve Day Show, because we don't want to choose favorites here, what one product have you been most most overjoyed and satisfied with based on the bang for buck tivo dvr straight up made me a better husband and father put me in a position where i could record stuff in real time sporting events and things and set them aside and not watch and 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 or or you know like like when noah all the years he played flag football the games would go until 11 30 in the morning 11 a.m or is you know when the games start here in iowa and uh, now i didn't have to wait until the game ended, recording it on a VCR. I could record it, start it in real time, not feel like I met, lost anything, help me not feel like it was, you know, a competition between stuff I wanted to do in my spare time and the duties and roles that I had as a father and a husband. So DVR and TiVo for sure. Um, he's reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first nice. year and a half to two years of any iPhone. After that, it's just, it goes downhill, but... They work really well. They work work really, really well, really fast, right out of the box for about a year, year and a half, two years. And then planned obsolescence. We just couldn't end on a positive note. We had to end on planned obsolescence. And we started with Antichrist, so. It is just our way, indeed. All right, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to two Eastern, right after Glenn Beck, right here on Blaze TV. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.